Welcome to the Carl Bart Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle. And my guest today is Dr. Marty Folsom. Dr. Folsom holds a PhD from the University of Otago. He is an adjunct professor of relational theology at Shiloh University and the author of Carl Bart's Church Dogmatics for Everyone, a step-by-step guide for beginners and pros. And today we will be discussing volume one on the Church Dogmatics for Everyone series, The Doctrine of the Word of God. Dr. Folsom, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, um, it's it's nice to be able to connect with someone from the Pacific Northwest. Is that right? You're like in the Seattle area. I am looking out my window at Whidbey Island from Kamado Island. So I am, you know, clearly in the Northwest. I only spent a little bit of time, three years in New Zealand. Other than that, I've mostly been here, though. I say the third most I've lived somewhere in my life was at Malibu Club Canada, where I spent 43 and a half weeks of my life there. So I am a definite Northwest kind of person. Wow. And uh, another Malibu uh, young life person back to back. That's cool. So you're are, you're from, is it Washington State? Yeah. Yep, Whitby yep. Island. I graduated from Bothell High School. Bothell High School is where I graduated from. Grew up in Woodinville. Okay. So I've been living in Snohomish. We just moved to Camino in September. Gotcha. Okay, cool. How did this whole journey start with going to Otago, going to New Zealand? And then how did you discover BART? Like, tell me that theological journey, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, the, my first memory of Carl BART was I went to University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. And I remember my dad talking to my uncle about BART, Brunner, and Bonhoeffer, the three Bs. And it stuck in my head. So I, I knew the name, but I didn't know about them. Um, for me, Young Life really set me on a journey of asking, Is does this theology really make sense in everyday life? And so mm-hmm. I did uh, six degrees really pursuing the question of the relational, uh, relational understanding of theology. And when I um, had James Torrance at, my, at a course in Fuller, Seattle, James Torrance is really the one that introduced me to Bart as somebody to, to be taken seriously. I I heard of him in some classes at Northwest University, but they were generally dismissing him for not taking seriously the word of God, the Bible. And so I had only been disinclined away from him. So when J.B. Torrance came along and said, with what you want to do, and it was in his course, of course, he brought up Bart all the time, but with what you want to do, you need to study Carl Bart. And when I said, well, where should I go for that? He said, go to New Zealand and study with my son, Alan, who was there at that time. So wow. the journey of pursuing a theology that made sense for really the service of the church and the life of everyday people was what I was looking for. And Bart, ironically enough, in the end, was the one who provided that as a primary conversation partner. Huh. Where did you start with Bart? Did you have like a, a book that you remember starting with out of all of them? So Alan did a reading group for his postgraduate students and we started it in 4-1. So we would, each each of the graduate students each week would present the section that we were reading. So he assigned going right through and it gave an opportunity to both to hear other people who were learning at some level, but also, you know, the, it came at the time for me to be the one who did all that kind of assessment. So that really gave me not only the specifics of what it is to read in 401, it really gave me the ability to 
jump in the deep end of the pool mm. with people who had lifesavers there and could pull you out when you got into trouble. So <laughs> that was an, an entry that was, it was really more than just content. It really was about process and how do you learn to listen to Bart's voice and what he's trying to say in helping to learn the voice of the one who speaks. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, it's really cool to, to have these conversations with people who are, who have done PhDs in have these sort of like seminar readings that sort of change their life, you know? And I'm like, that's, that's what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm <laughs> going to seminars regularly and thinking like, what's it going to be like, like reading Bart, reading Kierkegaard, reading Bonhoeffer, reading Catherine Sondreger and seeing these sort of uh, these, these books change me, you know what I mean? And and then to, to hear your story and, and see something like that and think like, Oh, that's actually what's happening right now. That's, I don't I guess I just made that connection. Um, uh, oh, I just had this past uh, term we did uh, in the ethics seminar, we did Church Dogmatics 2-2 on the, the command yeah. of God. And that was my first full, like, I guess it's not the full 2-2, but it's like the first uh, reader edition full volume that I've I've read. And it was like really nourishing. It was it was great. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging section to really get your head around, not keep to you want to ask the question. But what about us? Mm-hmm. And Bart keeps saying, well, what about him and yeah. who he is and the way it shapes that? So it is a great mind-bending exercise there at the end of 2-2. Hmm. Have you, so you're writing this uh, series, I guess. Have you ever yeah. read the whole thing? Have you ever read, like, how, or it, yeah. if you have, 19, how many times? In 1991, when I was in New Zealand doing my work, I read through the whole of the dogmatics then and took notes and, um, so that that was the first time that I've read in it since then. But mm-hmm. the writing of this series, I started about probably three years ago. So I'm reading through it, you know, very slowly. I didn't read through it as slowly then. Every Sunday I would read the section out of Bromley for the part I would be reading that week. Mm-hmm. So I'd get my mind formatted and then I would read through it. But I didn't kind of stop and contemplate. Um, at every point, like I have to do now to really get the essence of what's going on and to find language that I think people can understand, because that's not not always there. So, in a sense, this is my second full read through, and I've you know I've got all the way through one. Volume two should come out in May, so that one's all done, and I'm working in three three right now of volume three. So I'm you know a good chunk of the way through volume three. So. Mm. Um, I every every week there are things that it's like oh I remember this and also things that's like wow why didn't I see that before <laughs> so it is it is both a comfort to feel like I got the gist but there's just so much to be unpacked yeah so so much you mentioned that yes. uh, you you read it all once and then you're rereading yeah. it again but in between yeah. then the, those two times you have sections that you keep coming back to. Uh, do you have a specific section that you like is your favorite anything that you like specifically that's the one i want to keep reading out of the whole of the dogmatics yeah yeah that would be three two three two is is focus on the nature of the of the human you know so Um, one of the things that i do out of my work in the dogmatics is to ask the question how do we do therapy out of the work of theological thinking, which mm-hmm. is not to do kind of the integration kind of work, but how does the the work of the God who is person, creates persons, 
then lead us to do something that is therapeutic that doesn't collapse into psychological models. Family systems is much closer. So 3-2 has been a, a fairly constant go-to for me to really be reinvigorated in the question of what does it mean to be persons in relationship and the nature of what it is to see the restoring process happen to what it is that God intends within the life of God by the Spirit and all that. So 3-2 mm. is clearly it. <laughs> That's great. How does so? How does this this project come together? I mean, obviously, it seems like you're, uh, you you, you said you're working on book three right now. Is this uh, yeah. an idea that you came up with a long time ago? You said three years ago you started. It. Um, how does all that like? Hey, I'm going to write a go-to book for beginners to approach this massive, yeah. massive work. Um, there's a couple of pieces in that in that equation. One is when I was going through the dogmatics, I, I did try and chart out visually just to move through them, you know, starting with the God who, I mean, I think I started up high and came down and went into the depth of the nothing. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of tracing the whole nature of God, giving God's self in a visual form, which is to simplify. And so that for me served seeing the big picture in a visual kind of way that was really helpful for me. Um, the, the idea of people saying, you know, well, if you had a 30,000 foot view of this, you know, or an airplane view or a bird's mm -hmm. eye view, you know, any of those are really getting the big picture. And I love getting the big picture and seeing things within it. The things that stay in my thinking, you know, whether it's biblical studies, theology, if I can get a big picture and then fill in the parts, I just do much better remembering what's going on. So I thought I need to do something that helps people to get the big picture but it's got to be, with Carl Bart, it's got to be really simple to start with. And so this idea of what would it look like from outer space, you know, to say, <laughs> how do you get it down to the essence of it to say, I mean, it just came quite quickly. Well, you'd say the church of dogmatics, matter space, that's that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then to, to keep moving in from there, again, once you've got a starting point, then you can say, if you were to say it in a phrase, you know, what would that look like? And just ask with each level, what does it look like to move in? There are so many kind of levels with the dogmatics that people don't kind of think about, like the chapter divisions. People almost never talk about the chapter, the 16 chapters within. And it's like, well, that's actually a very interesting level to look at it. But that's just another level in the overall vision. The paragraphs is uh, you know much closer. You're getting down to the ground almost there. So it just kind of came to me what it looked like to move in and how in the moving in the structure of the dogmatics has that in a mm -hmm. sense layered dimension to it i also um in my first series the face-to-face -face series the trilogy i went to new zealand and australia and i was talking to mike hobbits who's at he's in auckland and he said you know he he, he loves bart and hates bart because he says it's so much it's hard to get around um <laughs> but he he engages bart because he's a great scholar but he said you know Bart, you know, what Bart needed was a really good editor to, you know, bring it down where people could could understand it. So that was in 2016. So it wasn't long after that that I that that kind of worked into me and said, well, why doesn't somebody do that? Why? Mm -hmm. Why don't we just ask if we boil down to the essence of what he's trying to say? Here's what you would get. So that that's really the sense, you know, once you get to chapter eight, that's really influenced by that. My, my Hobbit's kind of comment. The earlier part of it is the the nature of survey, getting the big picture, and that if people don't get the big picture, they will forever debate over little issues. Which again, I don't don't want to say too much about the debates at Princeton, but sometimes they just go, 
you know, you can get stuck forever in something that I'm not sure that that's really going to lead you into getting the big picture. And you may get stuck in one place and miss the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. You may get stuck in Las Vegas and not see the coasts or anything like that. So I really wanted to have people see the whole yeah. And just recognizing it for me, if you if you take things out of the hole, you're likely to misread or misinterpret what any of the particular parts are saying. So that was that was my vision is create something that's accessible to everybody that starts where you can literally say anybody can pick this up and say in one word, okay, I've got the one word, and then just a little bit of explanation, and then just keep moving them one step at a time. And really asking, okay, you know, would somebody really get this? And I asked people who were not educated in BART, okay, read this and tell me, you know, where do you get stopped? And they would say, you know, what does this mean? It's like, okay, good. Well, we're either going to take that out or write an explanation. So those first seven chapters, I had several people who were just helpful in reading and letting me know where they got stopped so that I Mm. felt like I could get it to where it indeed was something that would invite anyone in. And once they get past those seven chapters, to say, okay, if you've got that, you're probably going to do fine with what follows. The other thing is just adding the images, which my publisher at first said, you know, um, if you know, why are you putting images in here? You know, they just they're decorative, right? And I said, no, they carry the story, and that's true. That will be true in all five volumes. That the pictures really carry you into the story, and so. To say it's so easy to see the dogmatics as a bunch of words that become a cloud, that become um, unapproachable. And so mm-hmm. to begin giving people images of entering into what it is that's Bart doing and have it be part of a story that they're entering into in a sense, um, for me personally, it gave um, a huge sense of connectedness to what's going on. In the second volume, the whole idea of mus- music and musicality that this God speaks and sings and invites us into the symphony of God um, became something that's like, okay, that that helps to understand what could be a very heavy theological doctrine to make it you know, profoundly participatory. So that whole sense too in me of just how do I invite people into this is part of the of why I begin to do it at all and what I've tried to keep as a mainstay of the of the kind of quality that I want to be present in it. Hmm. You uh, you mentioned this sort of like view from outer space, and I figured we we yes. could probably start there. You mentioned obviously, this is all about Jesus. Um, yes, the the work as the uh, of the dogma the church dogmatics as a whole. What uh, what is Bart setting out to accomplish with them? How is he how is he actually writing them? Is, is it lectures? Um, you know, the lecture notes that get made into a book that get made into a lot of books. For for a layman, what are the church dogmatics? Yeah, they they did begin his lectures, and mm-hmm. he did have uh, Charlotte von Kirschbaum was his assistant, and so she would help do research and bring it, bring the ideas that he was asking. I need more on this, and so he created lectures. Some people got to hear those. I don't think any of them were recorded. It's like, ah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the technology wasn't wasn't what it needed to be then. Um, his nineteen sixty two. Um, what became evangelical theology, those are recorded. But to have something like that recorded would have been great. But to say they they were given to people, which, you know, Bart considered the life of the church in what it was that he was doing. So to say the church needs to think about what it is that it says 
And the part that people often don't get is that it's not just focusing on the church and what it says. It's because God speaks and then we attempt to reflect on what God speaks to bring his word um, to be a spoken word in the life of the church and to inform who we are. One really is trying to learn to hear the shepherd's voice. You know, the mm -hmm. sheep know the shepherd's voice. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't use that motif necessarily predominantly, but do us Dixit, God speaks. That is the foundation that undergirds it all. So as a professor, he wanted the church to recognize there's a God who speaks and we need to get clarity in what it is, is that he's saying, or we're likely to build something ourselves that serves our own ends, our own purposes. And the whole of the dogmatics really is both presenting to what it is that is said and all the ways that we get off and listen to other voices, including our own. And though you hear the word natural theology and just think, you know, kind mm -hmm. of the, the science and theology um, discussion, really everything in the dogmatics is falls under that rubric of what natural theology is, meaning reading things from our experience and our understanding. And when you do that, you're likely to start in the wrong place. Select what you want to hear, create something that serves you. And mm -hmm. so from, from sciences to politics, to the nature of therapy and memory, um, all of those things, he's going to take everyone on, but it's the same basic principle. Here's what, here's what the living God says, and here's all the ways that we get off. Mm -hmm. Let's come back. <laughs> Amazing. So you also have, um, you lay out these the, the chapters the paragraphs of each of these these volumes i, I wanted to, to just briefly touch on what's going on with the paragraphs the paragraphs are not necessarily literal paragraphs they're like chapters they're essentially paragraphs yeah and you know i wish that somebody would call them something different i mean <laughs> people give names to things and so, so then you go with kind of the common language of it so to say if you have a chapter, chapters mm -hmm. often have what we would call subsections. Mm -hmm. And it, it probably is best to think a paragraph in the dogmatics is a subsection within a chapter. And within, within each of the subsections or paragraphs within dogmatics, there are subsections. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there's usually, I mean, there's one that, that doesn't have any, but pretty much all the rest do. And they'll be anywhere from two to maybe four that's kind of the extent mm. so to say that he had a an architectonic meaning a structure around which he was building things and the fact that he had that structure meant that at the end of of one two he said what volume five was going to be but died before he did it mm. so i mean i'm working i'm creating volume five right which he died before he did it but he left clues yeah. and so to say you know he left chapters and there are hints that one can get as one goes along as to what the paragraphs or the development of those would be. And so, you know, once you get those, then you're aligned pretty much with what I'm trying to do is to say he was a thoughtful, systematic thinker. He always begins with who is Jesus. And then he begins to recognize the ways that 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 plays out. And so paragraphs are subsections that are dealing with the subpoints. Uh, we need to be clear about this, which means we need to not do that. Which I call clarifying by distinction. I mean this and not that. Yeah. And that's why at the end of each chapter, the last thing is clarifying questions. And it's always thinking, you know, if you think this way, that's a problem. This is the way that Bart would like you to think. And so it's really trying to do that clarifying work that comes from that basic 
learning to sort kind of uh, thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, I found it so useful to read that in your book um, because when I, I first started uh, spending time and interviewing BART scholars and, and just talking to them in general um, and talking about sort of their, their favorite parts or reading, you know, Oh, in paragraph, well, whatever paragraph, you know, get, pick a number. Uh, yeah, it says yeah. this. <laughs> I always, before I read your book, I always thought it was like literal paragraphs, like three to five yeah. sentences and thought every BART scholar has the best memory of any person I've ever met. <laughs> they all remember all of these tiny paragraphs. And then I actually started reading the dogmatics and I was like, oh, <laughs> this makes yes. a lot more sense. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of work to memorize this. I did I did up cards when I was was there reading through. You can't see it very well, but because I thought it would be good to get to get those paragraphs down. And right. if somebody does just memorize the chapters and paragraphs of the dogmatics, it does give you, in a sense, the framework of thought. And it's actually amazingly helpful to begin thinking of the flow of what is that's going on. So. I don't think that memorizing the dogmatics in a whole is a viable thing. So mm -hmm. if I would ever to recommend, it's like, yeah, just there are 16 chapters, <clears throat> memorize those, and there are 79 paragraphs. <clears throat> it's not impossible to memorize those. Yeah. So, yeah, I memorized the books of Colossians and Philippians, which are, you know, they're longer than that. Wow, yeah. And it changed my life. I mean, to have that in your head, to have those biblical texts in your head, is so profound and just giving you lenses and so hmm. to say there are small things that we can do and this book is is really this series is really trying to do that give the small things that help you access the big things mm -hmm. so yep yeah you mentioned uh that you so you you read it all once and you sort of pick out sections now um is i guess is the church dogmatics is it meant uh, obviously i guess it's meant to be read in order but can you read it out of order? Um, is that inadvisable for someone, let's say, who's who's new to this? Um, are they going to be lost if they just pick up 2-2 two, two and uh, don't start at 1-1? One, one? Right. Um, that's kind of like asking, can a doctor who works on hearts just study hearts and not study the whole body? <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could, but they're likely to miss some of the issues of what needs to be paid attention to yeah. uh like maybe anesthesia and you know <laughs> what <laughs> so hmm. so to say there is a there is a logic particularly in volume one that allows the reader to be begin to be oriented to how how we listen to what it is that god is saying if you don't get that in one one you will likely go in cherry picking for things that you think are going to answer your questions and that's the problem they're your questions, and you're looking for an answer and saying, well, Bart says this, but you've missed the very nature of how Bart gets to what he's trying to say within it. Mm -hmm. And without wanting to, you will make it fit your paradigm, and it won't be saying what it is that Bart wants to say. So volume one is, in a sense, a pair of glasses that helps you to think in a direction and to think what he would call, and T.F. Dorrance would call, scientifically in a way that we are not taught to do science in a sense. Um, but you come to recognize that the nature of 
reality has to precede all of the ideas we bring to it, or we'll just try and fit reality into our ideas. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to really read the dogmatics as Bart intends them, you do, I think, have to at least read um, one one before you proceed on to the others. Mm-hmm. Once you finish one one and you get to the doctrine of God to say, um, God is being revealed here in such a way that the actuality of God has to precede all of the words that we use to try and fit him in. And so I just want to talk about the attributes of God because to attribute is to put things onto someone. So to attribute to, you know, you seem like a nice person. Well, we have an idea of a nice person and we attribute it to this person. Well, that's 180 degrees from Bart's methodology. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to position ourselves to say, how do we listen to who the God who loves and freedom is and the way that that works out in everything that follows? So if you don't get two, you're likely to look at what follows there and you'll you'll miss the categories. You'll misunderstanding what God's doing. You'll see words like submission and lordship and you'll think, oh, there he is, the controlling God. It's like, yeah, you missed the God who loves and freedom mm-hmm. that informs the nature of these terms. So there is a sequencing of how our mind gets transformed to align with who God is and what what is being said by the person of Jesus and the way it's supposed to impact the church and the world. That we are we are just such good selectors of what interests us or what we what we think is important that the work of the dogmatics doesn't do what it rightly should do if we don't kind of follow the the structure of what's going on. Hmm. You, uh, you you called volume one sort of the set of glasses that helps you see the rest. Um, yep. And you also <laughs> said that the view from outer space is just Jesus. <laughs> um, hopefully, let's go a little bit closer to Earth, I guess, and yes. take a closer yes. look at this set of glasses. Um, what is the focus of volume one as a whole? Right. So I think the most important thing to get out of volume one is it's the the three dimensions of the word so to say volume one introduces us to the idea that god speaks and it, because god speaks theology should not merely be us speaking about god and when literally when i begin classes now i say you've always heard theology is talking about god but in this space theology is letting god speak and we're going to keep letting god speak and ask how that speaks to us and also how it may call into question all the things we've been told in the church um, up to this point. So if we think of the volume one, one is getting oriented to the God who speaks that God speaks in person. So the living word is the first word that is there. So when I've taught undergraduate courses, particularly I say, so when I talk about the word of God, what am I talking about? And what do, what do 99% say? The Bible, the Bible. Yeah. Yep. And I say, well, the Bible is the word of God, but only insofar as you let the living word speak through it. And so the idea of you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but these bear witness to me. Um, that reorients our thinking to say the living word who speaks, that is the authority over the written word. That's the second W, the second word, which I, I kind of do all caps on word, meaning the living person of Jesus. I can't remember if I did that in this book, but anyway. I mean, to do it in classes. The living word is witness to and gives authority to the written word. So insofar as we let the written word 
be the words of Jesus or show how he speaks into the world, um, then then we are positioned to begin to hear. The third word, which I use just a capital with the, the written word, the Bible, all lowercase, the words that we speak, that is what we preach, that's what we that's what we teach. And I also included that that's how we live. The nature of how we live from what we have heard that is witnessed in scripture, that that is the word in action, which that which is attributed to France of Assisi, preach the gospel of necessary use words. Mm-hmm. That that is in a sense saying that the lived life that he listens to, responds to, and acts in a way correspondent with it, that is living the word. So the third is the dimension of the human participation that needs to be oriented to the living word through the written word and now speaks we're not just passive we become active participants in that and we become the church and a witness in the world to the living god and what it means to be all that we are intended to be by that god so so the uh, the first the first dogmatic then moves us away from any proof proof texting or just looking for a sermon, you know, how do mm. I give a good sermon that people will like? And says, um, if we're going to do theology at all, we need to recognize there's always, there should always be one who speaks in the church. And I still say, if I walk out of a church service and I don't have some sense that Jesus was there speaking and that I walk out having been addressed by him, then the preacher was probably just trying to have a, a, an applause at the end they want to be seen as a good mm. preacher wow. right and so yeah. we have so we have very good preachers in the world they speak well and you you feel emotionally moved but you're not doing the work of theology if you don't come to know the living word in the life of the church mm. and there's a lot of churches that miss miss that point so getting that whole orientation for theology and for the church and then who we are as people, whether we're you know Christian leaders or whether we're just lay people who think that it's for somebody else, but maybe maybe there is something for me to do. Bart wants to say, yeah, same living word, same written word, and you are doing whatever in the context that I placed you. Live that out, and mm-hmm. that I mean that leads to why I have the end of the essays in the book. That mm-hmm. this is for everybody. Peace. Yeah, I loved I loved those. For the listeners, if you if you haven't actually seen the table of contents in the book yet, um, there are essays on why reading church dogmatics or why one one even is useful for pastors or theologians or ordinary people. And I, I found it uh, I, like over and over and over again. You have at the end of every section, even in the book, this sort of like, all right, now what? Why does all this matter? And it's it's always a good question you know uh, when when you're reading yeah. sort of theology sometimes it can just like okay well that was a good thought and go on but you, you don't let us do that so I've, i found that it's just hard to get the thought yeah it's it's often you read and go okay that's probably really important for somebody but i don't get what it has to me so mm-hmm. I, my, my intent was really to say i get how hard it is for people to read theology and think that it really matters and all the people who say yeah i took theology classes in school, those books are all on the shelf there. Never touch them. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it shouldn't be that way. How do I get it right down to where it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, as you teach theology, you often say to the students, our approach is going to be different here. We're not going to just speak about God. We're going to let God speak to us and, and 
see what that means. And that that's usually a reorienting process for the students to sort of, uh, that, that's a different approach than normal. Um, I found that to be yeah. very much uh, my, my story coming to BART. And honestly, most people I know, um, speaking to them about who, who are interested in BART, even, you know, I have PhD students surrounding me at, at this university who are working on BART and almost to a person, every one of them says, oh, I, I came from a different background to BART. Um, yep. So um, I'm thinking for people like me, for people who are, are, if there are, if this is like a regular route for people coming from, I guess, like my background is like a conservative evangelical background to BART. Um, I'm hoping, I was hoping that we could maybe uh, walk through just a few terms that might help orient maybe people who are coming to the church dogmatics. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier, you said a, a set of dogmatics. Could have you just like a, a baseline layperson docu- uh, definition of, of what are dogmatics? Yeah. And the, the first thing I have to say in clarifying that is dogmatics doesn't mean really strong opinions. Because <laughs> often people will say, you're, you're being so dogmatic. Exactly. Meaning you're unmovable in your opinion, and we can't even talk about it. So 180 degrees from that is a word that you used earlier in our conversation of yourself. Um, it is curiosity. Dogmatics mm. is the curiosity that keeps asking, is that really what this person means? Is this really what's going on? So again, the word heuristic isn't helpful unless you say it's what a child does in discovering the world. Mm-hmm. And dogmatics, when done properly, is to say the world is there and to ask why this and what is that? And is this this or is this that? Dogmatics is the investigative process of clarifying that there is reality, i.e. the living God who speaks, and that there are things that are not real but move people away um, and become labeled Christian, Christian politics, Christian marriage, but they may not actually look anything like what it is that the, a, a biblical representation of who Jesus is and what he wants to bring to us looks like. So dogmatics, church dogmatics, is the church's process of clarifying what has God said, how do we make sure that we're going with him as a person and not just a system of ideas, Mm. and that with that person then it calls into question practices that people would put out there that ultimately are um, empowering of people and not really creating a, a humility and a submission for the person of Christ. Um, you know, a classic example of that would be the word election is something, you know, Christ is elected on our behalf. Humans love to elect somebody to lead them who's powerful and they're willing to give up their their identity and everything to support somebody who they think is really powerful and popular will give them the life they want. And Bart just says, you know, it looks, it sounds a lot like the election of Christ, except they've chosen a human to give them a life that ultimately, and he was particularly thinking of Hitler at this point, robs them of their life. Hmm. And they're giving themselves away is the opposite of what Christ does, who gives us our life. So to do that kind of clarifying work, church dogmatics helps you to see the word election can give you life or it can give you death. Hmm. Choose life. Yeah. In Christ. That's great. You you covered the uh the three full uh, the three forms of the word of God for us. Um I'm wondering yeah. uh if you could if I could have you speak to what Bart means when he speaks of revelation. Um, obviously I think that could be a junk drawer term depending on who's listening. Uh, so what does Bart mean? Yeah. So Revelation, 
um, has the idea of someone giving us something mm-hmm. and particularly about themselves. So to say, does creation reveal God? A lot of people say, oh, I look at the sunset, you know, that's so beautiful. Or in the Northwest here, we say this is God's country, meaning it's beautiful to me. And so for me, it reveals something of the beauty of God, but they can't recognize all I'm doing is saying what I find beautiful, God must find beautiful, therefore we reduce God to our image. And I would say that's not revelation, it's just reading God through our eyes. So when we look at objects to the world, objects don't reveal because objects don't speak. And so with the word revelation, as Bart is using it, there is a person who is unveiling who they are as a person, and not only who they are as a person, it's who they see us to be as persons who are invited into it. So you could say, tell me about yourself. And I could say, well, I'm five foot eight and I was since the seventh grade and I live here and I'd give you all kinds of information about me. And you could say that's revelation, but it's not really revealing much about me. When I start to tell you who I love and what I love, that's more. But the further step is that when I say, Corey, you're my friend now. Yeah. Will you be my friend too? And and when you say, hopefully, say yeah. yes. Sure. <laughs> now my revelation is an invitation, yeah. right? And so in this revelation, there's an invitation that invites a response that is the the very dynamic of what a relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. Now I know you're a Bonhoeffer person, but to say Bonhoeffer is the positivism of revelation missed this point with Bart. Hmm. He missed the invitation to the life that comes and the dynamic of the Christ who is always inviting and transforming um, can never be seen as merely positivism, meaning here I am, I put it out there, you know, hope you enjoy what I look like. Um, Bart is so not doing that. And so much of revelation then it is the dynamic of interpersonal relationships where one gives oneself to be known in such a way that the other is impacted to respond in a way that invites them into that life. Mm-hmm. Anything less than that, that's just doctrines or um, God's power or whatever that misses that is missing Bart's sense of the word revelation. And how does this approach for Bart, uh, what does it tell us about God? What it tells us about God is that God took on human flesh because God wanted to be known and he wanted us to know that we are known. And he wanted us to know that that we have a profound ability to walk away from God and to not listen to God. But that God will always be the one who created us, sustains us, mm-hmm. brings us home, um, gives us the very breath and life that we have. And so to say science is the study of the actuality of reality, Bart wants to say, um, I'm doing scientific work here because I'm bringing back, bringing you back to the one that made you, sustains you, gives you meaning and purpose in life. Um, we're not going to just talk about a world that is developed by chance or accident or whatever. And so the very nature of what it is that we're doing with the revelatory work of God is that we're getting God in human flesh, speaking our language, addressing our issues, and showing us what the reality is, as well as all of those options that we choose that aren't reality, and the the destructive consequences that they have. Hmm. 
So in Revelation, we get God as the one who loves in freedom, the one who creates the universe, creates the earth, creates us out of love for us. And so to begin to, well, as I say, God, my, my paradigm of relational theology, God exists in relationship, number one. All that God does is for the purpose of relationship, number two. The, the nature of the life of the church is to live within the relationship that God extends to us. And number four, what it means to be a person is to recognize that we are created, that there is purpose and meaning in our life, that the church is the one that cradles us, brings us into the family, so that we are fulfilled as the persons that God intended us to be. And so mm. all of that is, it's God all the way down to the level mm. of, of who we are. So to ask, you know, and I do this as a therapist, you know, so how do you answer the question, who are you? Most people will give the resume of what they do. And it's like, yeah, that's what you do, but that's not really who you are. And the the, the answer that Bart would say there, you know, you are a child of the living God. Hmm. You are somebody who cries out, Abba, dear father, because the spirit moves in you. And so to know that when we cry out, Abba, father, by the spirit, revelation has come to us of who this God is. And if I cry, Abba, guess what I am? I am a child, mm. right? So in the very revelation of God, we actually discover ourselves as well. And if yeah. you discover a God that doesn't transform who you are, you probably have an ideal of a God that isn't the God that Bart wants to talk about. I think that was the big um, breakthrough for me when, I guess, coming from my background and coming to Bart, that paradigm shift right there. When I, I, I mean, I can think back to, I guess, like, preaching classes and my undergrad um church services and it, it i was i was literally taught to preach and taught to read my bible as the question being that the flow is uh who is god what has god done who are we how do we live and then i read um an article by grant mccaskill in uh in the freedom under the word volume on Bart's a theological exegesis in it. It shifted it for me that for Bart, it, it is not who is God, what has God done, who are we, how should we live, but what has God done in Christ? Therefore, who is God, and therefore, who are we? That the God's yeah. act of taking on flesh and and dying for the world that 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 is a revelation, and that's the that is where we're starting from, and that that sort of change there really unlocked. Um, how to even approach Bart at all, this sort of like, we're we're not starting with who is God as this abstract concept, but what has God done? Okay, he's he's yep. taken on flesh. It's no longer abstract. Therefore, who is God? It's it's Jesus right there. And what is he doing? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, what is he doing here and now? Right. Um, you know, his little book here and now is, is quite profound to just really get the sense he's not then and there. Yeah. He's here and now. And he's there in the future. He actually is there. He can deal with our past in a way, which, I mean, the words forgiveness and all that. He deals with our past. He deals with our future. But we got to get the here and nowness of it. Or your life of prayer, the life of reading scripture, the life of being a neighbor, the life of being a spouse is probably going to be diminished from what it would look like in the fullness of its way of being. Hmm. Amazing. 
Well, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll end with this. I have one more for you and it's going to be, it, it's a bit of a fun one. It'll be nice and easy on you. Um, it's a game of desert Island. Um, so the idea, it's really just a way to get, uh, book recommendations. The idea is that you are trapped on a desert Island. You can take one primary source by Bart. You cannot say all of the church dogmatics, but if it comes in a book form, a single volume, you can take it. Um, and the other, uh, would be, so one book by Bart and one book about Bart, a secondary resource, which two books are you taking and why? <laughs> You're holding up for the listener. You're holding up evangelical theology and in introduction. Evangelical theology. The reason is it was it was late in Bart's life. Mm-hmm. It gives a sense of the goodness of the of the good news. It was originally given in the context of the United States, so it it has an awareness of the context in which I find myself. So I mean, I may not suggest it to somebody who lives in Taiwan or something like that. It gives an overarching sense of the nature of what it is that Bart's attempting to do in his methodology. Um, it opens up, you know, theology is among those human under, undertakings traditionally described as sciences. So, I mean, say from there, what he and, and T.F. Torrance talk about is really doing the hard work of engaging the nature of reality and seeing that one can exclude God, but you're gonna, you're not going to end up with reality meaning i mean there's all kinds of things get lost in that Mm -hmm. so to say this book begins in such a way that it it continually reminds me to come back to this is a serious engaging endeavor that matters for myself and and the the fish that are around this island and (laughs) it, it it brings me to the nature of what it means to be that curious person who lives out of the grace of the god who is present and active and that's that's what this is all about so that's Mm -hmm. That's my original one. Oh, wow. So this is Carl Barth, Biblical and Evangelical Theologian by Thomas F. Torrance. Wow. So Thomas F. Torrance is, I studied under Alan Torrance. I originally studied under James Torrance. He's the one that really got me interested in what the Torrances bring as interpreters of Carl Barth. And I find that, the, well, J.B. was amazing in his understanding of worship and preaching and he mm. he lived a pastor's heart you couldn't talk to jb Torrance for five minutes without something of the goodness of jesus um coming out and he, his prayers were it's like entering into the holy of holies so in this book tf Torrance gives just i think a beautiful overview of the life of of carl bart it has a Torrance reading of it which is you know profoundly missionary oriented um wanting to really enrich the life of the church so he he brings to the folk to the fore a focus on Karl Barth as a servant of the living god who wants to bring life to the church in such a way that the theologian um is not the academic person um away in ivory towers but is really serving the life of the church in a way that matters my my wife was a dentist and she said, if you do a PhD in dentistry at the University of Washington, you're asking every week, how do I create procedures or medications that will be used next week in a dental office? Hmm. And I just, I, I wish that, that people could get what T.F. Torrance was trying to do and what Carl Barr was doing, which this book embodies. And that is to say, this all matters for the church. The academy matters for the church. Mm-hmm. And so we need to get oriented to biblical and evangelical means 
we're bringing the whole life of God, we're making it available so that the church will be enriched by God and therefore become a blessing, good news for the world in its service to that to that loving God. So Tia Torrance, Kerbar, Biblical and Evangelical Theologian, I think is an amazing book, both to understand Bart, but also Tia Torrance. So there are my two books. <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Folsom. Um, again, for the listener, the book is Carl Barth's Church Dogmatics for Everyone, a step-by-step guide for beginners and pros. And this one is on volume one. And volume two is out in May, yeah? It'll be out May 16th. It'll be out. So it's so, up right now on Amazon. You can you can pre-order it. So I, I genuinely, I have, um, over the past three or four years, I've, between the Von Hoffer podcast and this one, I've been interviewing, uh, you know, scholars who are writing all of these books. And I've, it's the first time that I read a book that I felt like this was written for me. Like it was so, so uh, helpful for me to just grab my bearings and, and, you know, be able to approach the subject. So thank you for writing it. I'm so excited about the second volume as well. Thank you, because that's exactly what I hoped it would be a book that people could really pick up and say, I'm getting this. <laughs> And, right, uh, and yeah. find find joy in it. And uh, I think volume two um, will, I'm, I can't wait for it to come out and hear what people think, because people have loved this book. I've yet to get a negative comment, which is wonderful. But um, on the front cover of the third volume, there's a, a little gold, like, like it's a goldfinch maybe. And I said, what, you know, why the goldfinch? They said, that's representing the voice that you talk about throughout this, the music mm-hmm. that comes. So it's like, okay, well, that's that's interesting. So I'm hoping that um, that what you just said is is the only thing that that I ever from people. Um, it gave me what I needed to get in the door and to begin to understand. And that they don't stop with my book, but they do go on and read Carl Barth. You know the the, the full volume of it. The Logos version of this uh-huh. is all hyperlinked. So you know everywhere that I I give the paragraphs, chapter titles, you can click on it. And it'll take you right to it. So I love that it's being you know integrated as a tool for taking that next step to really enter into uh, the whole of what's going on amazing well that's great well when volume two comes out you're obviously you're welcome back anytime i'm happy to uh to chat with you this has just been a lot of fun so i appreciate you taking the time i'd love to come back so thanks so much Corey. (laughs) thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the carl bart podcast if you enjoyed the episode please leave a review in your podcast app It will help others find the show. And if you have any feedback or questions, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is at Bart Podcast. That's all for me now. I'm excited to keep learning with you all. And I appreciate you listening. See you next time.